Hello and welcome to the Sage Space. There are pockets of people who are understanding this and really embracing this understanding that, you know, our body is not a machine. It's, you know, mind and body. It's all connected. You know, you are what you think. Your body is printing that out every moment of every day. So an anxious mind is an anxious body and an agitated mind is an agitated body and our biochemistry will reflect that and our respiratory efficiency will reflect that, our hormonal balance, everything, everything will reflect that. Post-cancer, I wanted to create a space to have conversations with the many creative people who offered up their knowledge and wisdom of how to move through this challenging time. Often practical, definitely insightful, and always infused with optimism, these conversations are a joy to share. As the designer Alan Moore says, the act of creating something of beauty is a way of bringing good into the world. Infused with optimism, it says simply, life is worthwhile. Today I'm sharing my conversation with the wonderful Gillian Lavender of the London Meditation Centre. When I look back to 2016 and I was in the midst of grueling chemo, I can almost pinpoint the time when I began to get my head around what I was going through. It wasn't that everything was suddenly all right, but just that I began to feel able to ask myself some of the harder, more painful questions I'd been trying to ignore. And it was meditation that helped me in more ways than I can explain to look into the darkness and subsequently showed me the light at the end of the tunnel. Since that summer day when I was given my personal sound or mantra, it's been like a faithful friend as important as the twice daily brushing of my teeth, as synonymous with putting on my shoes each day. Gillian, a native Kiwi, has been a meditator for over 25 years, and along with her partner Michael, she founded the London and New York Meditation Centres, and between them, they've taught literally thousands of people to meditate. During our chat, she talks us through the incredible benefits the simple technique she teaches can give, whether you're going through a serious illness, feel mentally or emotionally wobbly, or simply want to enhance your creativity or find some moments of calm and stillness in your life. This is such an important conversation for me to share, and as ever, we talk about some additional practical tips to get you through some tricky times. I really hope you enjoy. Gillian, welcome to the Sage Space podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. This is going to be a lovely chat. So Gillian, the, the first question I like to ask people, and it seems probably self quite self-explanatory speaking to you as a, as a meditation teacher, but how have you found space for yourself today? The number one way that I do that, and I do it every day, is I sit down before breakfast and I close my eyes and I meditate for, let's say, 20 minutes. <clears throat> And I did that before my daughter woke up and um, Michael had, my partner had a very early meeting. So he was out. It was just us. I got up, did my meditation and then I got going. And that was my little moment before I then did the school run and launched into my meetings. Uh, And then I will do that again late afternoon, early evening. So it sort of bookends my day, and that's that's my go-to. That's my fundamental place of 
reset and uh, time for myself. And it's interesting because it's not it's not long. No. <laughs> you get your bang for your buck in those 20 minutes. You sure do. You know, sometimes people will say to me, oh, you know, I don't have time to meditate. or And I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> you know, because 20 minutes is not that long. You know, we can do a lot of faffing around on social media and a couple of emails and 20 minutes is just gone, you know. And so um, it's... I think if we don't have time to take care of ourselves, if we don't have time to have a counterbalance to all of the doing, then something's off. And we need to look a little bit deeper at what is it that's taking up our time. And often, in my experience, in today's environment, what is taking up people's time is a lot of time on screens and on devices. Um and as you say, you know, the payback, the return on that investment of the 20 minutes is huge. You know, as one of my students said to me, she said, I don't have time not to meditate, you know, because when I meditate, I am clearer and more energized and I'm more calm and I'm more uh, creative and I have more perspective. And so everything I do subsequent to that meditation is going to be more efficient and more effective. And so, um, yeah, it's the, the ROI, the return on investment for that 20 minutes is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. Yep. And I think, um, probably the conversation we're going to have today, you know, I think hopefully, I mean, I, I was quite nervous about, um, our conversation today because, um, Meditation to me has been such a huge part of my healing process, having had breast cancer. So I was sort of, oh my god, am I going to ask everything I want to ask, and um, and and all the wisdom and knowledge I hope that you can share with people that it's um, it can be such a great tool to, to to kind of help you on 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 that journey. So I met you, Gillian, for the first time, and I I was thinking about it. It's coming up for four years now. And um, you were giving wow. um, you were giving a talk at a, a moving on workshop, which I know a lot of the cancer centres around the UK give. And so yes. you have a room full of um, people who are either going through cancer treatment or have finished, and lots of experts in wellness and come and kind of give talks. And you were talking about meditation. And I just wondered how perhaps you can explain how you how you became involved with the cancer center and cancer patients and how, how long that's been. Yes, it's a very interesting uh, connection because it came through one of our students that I, I was working with this um, center in Harley Street in London. And that connection was made through a student who had been going to that center for treatment. She had um, breast cancer and was was going through her treatment. And then uh, that was the catalyst for her to learn to meditate. Her partner Interesting story, actually. Uh, she, her partner had been meditating for many, many years. So I knew him from way back. And then he met this woman. They got together and they have two children. And she had always been 
she was not um, anti-meditation, I wouldn't say. That would be too strong. But she had she was never really showing any interest. It was sort of something that her husband did. She was fine about that. Um, she didn't really ever ask me any questions about it. No interest. And then she got her diagnosis and she started going through that process and she reached out. And she said, I know that this is a wake-up call and and I'm reviewing a lot of things about my life and my diet and my lifestyle, and I know that I'm, I'm ready, basically. I, you know, I, stress is something that I've, I have to take into account when I consider my situation, and I'd like to learn to meditate. So we got her meditating and she started to notice big changes very, very quickly. And somebody who had been experiencing a lot of anxiety in her life and in her family for a very long time. And so she went from a kind of a non-believer to a very, very committed and and remains a very committed um, uh, advocate and, and uh, cheerleader for meditation because of, you know, particularly of when it came to her in her life and what it continues to deliver for her. And it was through that introduction, she was going into the center having treatments and she introduced us to them and, and they said, we would love for you to come in and, and talk about this with, they had been doing some mindfulness um, stuff, but what we teach is very, is very different. And, uh, so I started going in and as you say, you know, standing there in front of a room full of 30, 40 people talking about why meditation, um, is such an important tool in our life. And, uh, many, many, many people coming to learn to meditate as a result of that, Um, And often they are at a point in their lives where they feel that things are up for review, uh, that they are getting a message or a signal that there's some aspects of their life that are unsustainable or have been unsustainable, and they're looking for tools and techniques and information uh, knowledge that can support them in making more sustainable choices and so there's a lot of receptivity and I think doing it in that environment where you know we are up against medical uh practitioners it's a you know they're doing full-on range of treatments it's not a it's not an alternative therapy environment for sure um however it sits very well and I think that's partly because of the abundance of science the scientific research that we have about meditation today, um, I find that that's a very important component when I'm in in the context of such a medicalized environment as that. I mean, I I would I'd be interested to hear how whether doctors surgeons are beginning to slightly incorporate. Um, tools like meditation in, in treatment plans. I mean, just uh, very quickly for me, it was actually my uh, breast surgeon who suggested I meditate. Um, yeah. And he 
he said to my parents, he thought I was quite anxious and he suggested that perhaps I should try meditating. But it wasn't until I was halfway through my treatment, which I was finding impossible, you know, I, I was so worried, so sad about it. And um, I had one day where I went to have my chemo and I was neutropenic, so I couldn't carry on. And I was walking in the park with a friend of mine who lived in India. And I said to her, I just, maybe I just should start meditating. And it was quite extraordinary how the next three, four months of my treatment panned out. I just found I could, I just could go with it more. I could, I could just take myself away from this craziness that was going on and yes. just, and, and, and really reconnect with myself. And, and I think I began to ask myself the questions that I was too scared to ask and sort of slightly acknowledging some of, some of the tough stuff. And um, the benefits, I think, just got, got more and more as I, as, as I carried on and more able to read outside of my sort of narrow treatment and just sort of ask the difficult questions. So how have you seen that the medical community are, are perhaps beginning to question as to whether the, these sort of things could really help people going through treatment? I think it's... Um... <laughs> To say that it's uh, in any way mainstream is, is just not, not where we're at. Um, I would love it to be more mainstream than what it is. There are pockets. There are pockets of people who are able to connect the dots and who are able to step beyond this um, pretty mechanized, medicalized approach to dealing with these issues and to go back to a deeper level of what is actually the root cause and to be able to access things that are going to make a difference. And I think often it is a let's deal with this at a surface immediate level. We have this issue, we go we have these um sort of go to treatments and we go to that because time is of the essence and and what it does is it addresses the issues in quite a harsh way at a surface level and doesn't go deeper and i think it's there are pockets of people who are understanding this and really embracing this understanding that, you know, our body is not a machine. It's, you know, mind and body. It's all connected. You know, you are what you think. Your body is printing that out every moment of every day. So an anxious mind is an anxious body. And an agitated mind is an agitated body. And our biochemistry will reflect that. And our respiratory efficiency will reflect that. Our hormonal balance, everything, everything will reflect that. And whilst I think there is a certain understanding that that's possibly the case, the next step is, well, then what would you do with that information? What can you actually give people? oh, you know, go and listen to this, you know, guided thing or 
you know, what what actual tools do they have that they can push point people to that is actually going to address the root cause? And the root cause is stress. And we know that that this is has a cascade effect in terms of you trace most illnesses, most disease back, it has its roots in stress. And so it's not where we want it to be. It's, and that's why, as I was referencing earlier, it's important that for someone in my situation, I'm able to speak in a way which is uh, has some science behind it and has some can kind of meet them at a place where, yeah, this has some credibility. And uh, but I think it's um, we've got a ways to go. Perhaps now would be a good time to to actually talk about the the Vedic meditation that you that you mm-hmm. teach and and mm-hmm. some of that science. Um, so of course, as you were saying, people are people are very aware nowadays about mindfulness. There are a trillion apps you can download to get you meditating. Yeah, but the Vedic meditation that you teach is 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 very different, and perhaps you can ex- explain. Yeah. Yeah, so let's start with that word Vedic, because I think that's not a word we come across um, in common parlance. Vedic, V-E-D-I-C, means of the Veda. And the Veda, V-E-D-A, is a body of knowledge which is thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. And it's from where we get yoga and meditation and Ayurveda, this ancient system of natural health care. It predates, for example, the, the Buddhist tradition by many thousands of years those are all offshoots that came out of this knowledge, which was, which was held in a, in a pure form in um, India, what we would know now to, today as modern-day India, Pakistan, around that area. But it's not an Indian knowledge per se. It's universal knowledge. And this, so this is the oldest technique of consciousness that we have, uh, being able to settle down our awareness and experience our baseline of uh, consciousness. And it's a very interesting um, that this ancient knowledge, you know, the fact that it stood at the test of time over these thousands, this arc of these thousands of years tells us something about the efficacy of this. Uh, and in this modern world, we certainly don't need to look far to see that there is need there for this kind of knowledge because everybody's living in a state of excitation and doing and thinking and over-excitation. And meditation gives us the counterbalance. It gives us the means whereby to experience a state of being. We're human beings. And that experience is a natural easy, enjoyable, and powerful experience when we know how to access it. And that's what the technique of meditation is all about. It is about taking us away from doing and allowing the mind and then the body to settle down. And the way that we do that is that we teach a meditator, a sound which has resonance for them. It's a particular sound. It's uh, 
comes from a kind of a treasure chest of sounds that we have been trained to allocate to students and it resonates with their vibrational quality it's not it has no meaning we think that sound silently when we sit in the chair and close the eyes uh, and we we notice very quickly that that sound has the the ability to become more refined it has this quality of automatic spontaneous self-refinement and it pulls the mind into super subtle layers very very quickly and then the body follows because as we were saying as is the mind so is the body so a settled mind delivers a settled body and the research shows that the meditator after a few minutes of meditating sitting there on the train meditating is resting up to about five times deeper than sleep. So it's very, very, very powerful rest. And what that means is that the body can heal and purify and come back to homeostasis. It can get back to a normal, balanced place. And because stress and tiredness is doing the opposite, it's taking us away from balance. So that the power of that is immense because of that purification. So it's a very ancient technique that works beautifully in this modern world because, as we said, sit down with your eyes closed for 20 minutes. We can do that. We can do it at home. We could do it while we're commuting. We could do it. You know, it's, it's very doable and uh, very pleasurable. So it's different to mindfulness. It's not a guided process. You know, once you learn to meditate in this way, you have self-sufficiency. You sit down every day and you do it just like you brush your teeth and you hop in the shower. You meditate and you feel better and everybody else around you feels better because you've done it. You know. Yeah. I mean, I think the word that, that springs to mind for me when I so probably asked for the first week, I, I just felt at peace. And I just felt that I didn't have that just fear and anxiety. And I think anyone who's received a, a cancer diagnosis, I mean, I think the word cancer, we need to sort of take out of our lexicon because it is just this word that sparks total fear into everyone and not even, not just the patient, but families, friends. It's, um, it's, it's a, it's, it's a dangerous word because it has such a, has such negative, negative connotations, obviously. Um, but I think, yeah, the finding that peace within yourself is, is just an incredible relief. Yes. And we can see it, you know, we can see in the meditator, you know, I was talking before about the biochemical changes, you know, when somebody is anxious, their body is in fight-flight mode. So they are prepping for fighting the predator. So the body is, you know, the adrenaline is flowing, the norepinephrine, the stress chemistry is pumping through the system, the cortisol is being activated um, through release from, the, you know, the pituitary. And so we can we can see that biochemistry and we can contrast that with the biochemistry that we see of somebody sitting on the sofa with their eyes closed practicing this ancient knowledge and we can see that their body stops producing stress chemistry and starts to activate the endogenous that means produced from within cocktail of what i call bliss chemistry 
it's a different biochemical experience because then the body is normalizing dopamine and it's increasing serotonin and all of the neurohormones associated with positivity and longevity and balance and and peace that is it's not just oh you know now i'm meditating you know oh it's it's, this is a lovely groovy thing it's measurable you know so yes a meditator as you describe will feel that inner peacefulness and that it's a it's a pure inner serene contentment that's there in those very very subtle layers and we can measure it. You know, it's not you just making a mood of it. We can see it in your bloodstream. And the effects of, of, of meditating over time, I mean, that, that they are scientifically proven as well. I mean, longevity. Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. The method, you know. I mean, aging, the aging process. I mean, that, that there are scientific um, studies behind all of that as well. Yes, you know, the, the benefits compound day after day. Every meditation is, is changing your brain. Every meditation is changing your hormonal balance. It's, it's a constant process. And what we see, you know, is that when someone is tired and stressed, they do, their system does break down more quickly. It ages you faster and and we can measure that um there's an index that we look at which tells us what somebody's we we measure a number of indices and that will give us somebody's biological age which is very different from how many birthdays they've had you know we think oh this person's 35 because they've had 35 birthdays actually if we want to be really accurate about this we need to look at what's their biological age we look at a number of factors you know near point vision hearing with there's different things that we can um measure and you bring all that together and that will give us an estimate of that person's true biological age the research shows that somebody who's been meditating less than five years and their biological age is reversing by about up to five years you know and long-term meditators it can be up to 12 years in terms of slowing down the rate at which the body is um breaking down and uh because premature aging and stress they they go together yeah go together yeah and i think um i i certainly found when i was going through my treatment i would so i felt i would make five five steps forward and then i'd probably go back to the baseline again when i'd had a hit of chemo or and then i'd then i'd go up another five and then i'd go back down again but at least i wasn't going below the baseline i felt that very much mm. so and then of course the years subsequently i i feel i've just you know things have just become sort of fitted more into place more um but i wonder does i mean what if you're dealing with pain you you know you're going you're you're sick you're poorly and you are in pain can meditation help with that Absolutely, because, you know, pain or discomfort in the body, you know, let's call it that, there's some sensations, the body is is giving us information, you know, and I think often in our society, we're looking for ways to suppress 
that information. <laughs> you know, I don't want that information. And, you know, there's that, there's that wonderful saying, you know, whatever you resist persists. So the thing that you want to go away, it becomes a bit all consuming and dominating in your awareness because there's no counterbalance to it. There's no, it's that, and it becomes, we get caught in the grip of that. And that's understandable. Now, when we activate a different experience in the nervous system, when we can actually truly relax and activate the natural healing capacity in our nervous system, then we can shift that and take the sort of, actually take away the, the, the impact of that in the sense that there is a different experience that's available. So we can actually relax with it, whatever we're experiencing, and also to have the capacity to be more accepting of what is actually going on rather than this process of resistance, which actually only intensifies and creates this kind of conflict and battle, and to tune in to the information that the body is giving us and to make adjustments that are going to be, and I'm not saying it necessarily goes away completely, however, our response to it is part and parcel of our experience of it. And if we can respond to it in a way which is healthier and less um, bound by conflict and resistance, it changes our experience. And then we are not in opposition to what it is that's going on in our physiology. We are actually able to take that information and work with that in a completely different way, completely different way. There's almost a sense of having to surrender to to the process and surrender to what's going on and 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 as you say acceptance. I mean that's and it almost it's it's contrary to a lot of advice you're given. Oh, you've got to fight this, you've got to you know it's a battle you're going to win. Well, I don't think that language really it certainly didn't serve me or help me and I and I, I needed an, a, a gentler approach that was yeah yeah it's my experience in working with people who are going through this process is that if you look at what's going on in the psychophysiology it's as if the body is at war with itself that something is off so to this idea that we have to fight and battle and kind of exacerbates and reinforces a process that is actually not helpful for us. It's harmful. And this comes back to what we were saying earlier about being able to go to the, to the, the source of what is actually going on and to activate that natural healing potential that's there and you know that healing potential will not be available to us when we are stressed and we are in a aggravated fearful state it won't body doesn't that's not what's going on we're in fight flight so so let's change that state let's get rid of that let's change it so that we can activate 
this a, a very different response, a response which is happier and more healthy and balanced and healing. And and so, you know, I think it's you, you raise a very interesting point because of course when when we are in the grip of fear there is this natural tendency, well, I need to sort of double down on this. I need to try and gain control because this is sort of happening to me. So how do I gain control? And this is what everybody in society is doing at a macro level, all looking for how to find peace and happiness by controlling people and circumstances and acquisition of things and all of that. How do I control my way through life in order to be happy? And plenty of evidence to show that that's not working. Now, it's a natural response because actually we don't feel that connected to our source. We don't know who we are. We do feel dislocated and perhaps untethered. We, We don't have access to that least excited state of consciousness, which is our source, our ground state. And so just like, and you've heard me use this language in, in teaching, you know, if, if you imagine that I'm like a wave on the ocean, what meditation is doing is it's like taking my individual wave and it's allowing it to settle down and settle down and broaden out and broadening out. And the baseline of my wave, as I de-excite my nervous system, becomes more stable and more in connect in contact with that underlying reservoir of energy and creative intelligence and bliss that is there rather than me sort of being in the separate wave like status where I'm separate I'm alone I'm fighting this I've got to nail this you know it's it's not true actually it's not who we are we are nothing in this universe is separate and disconnected everything is connected and and you only need to look to to physics to leading edge science quantum theory to see that what what is actually at the basis of everything is energy so meditation is allowing my individual aspect to recognize that fundamental more universal aspect of who I am and connect with that and when you have that grounded experience every day twice a day there's a there's a shift that occurs and so this ability to surrender and tune into nature rather than to control and fight nature it shifts and what that ultimately does is releases us from the grip of this terror and the this conflict that this battle that you describe. When I think back to people I I, I met um, at LOC going through the treatment, I think there's a there's a real sense that if you're given a cancer diagnosis, you. you there is a slight stigma and that perhaps it's your fault that you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed it's it's hard to ask for help because you feel that maybe you've caused it. I think ask, asking for help and recognizing that there are so many different ways to help yourself through, a, through, through cancer, through a serious illness, and that perhaps not to purely focus 100% on just the medical way and, and perhaps just to bring in other things that can help you is, is a really important thing. I think it's very important. I think it's, you know, we, 
it's it's a time in which we need nourishment and and self nourishment and nourishment from our environment and and we all are looking for that and have a right for, to, for to experience that in every aspect of our life and and so yes i think it's important that we that we move in the direction of those things that we find charming and you know there's not one size fits all there's different things that are going to work for people at different times and and i would say um that it is important for us to be looking for those things that are going to address the fundamentals the the root cause of what's going on and there's a lot of power that comes from that it's a very empowering process to be able to really tune into one's own capacity to rebalance and and heal and and get to a a place that feels more sustainable and you know we all come to meditation this knowledge at the right time you know for different different um things and sometimes you know nature might have to turn the volume up a little bit to get our attention and it does and we go okay i've got the message okay yes i'm going to move in this direction you know other times maybe it's um it's just a little whisper or it's but it, it comes at the right time and and we you know we have an incredible potential to change and to heal and to get into balance and and that's the thing that's so exciting because when we know how to do that it's easy and it's natural and it flows and it's a really empowering experience and I mean I know listeners would probably love to hear how you yourself came to meditation because you've been a meditator for 25 years is that yeah yeah a long time Um, and was again was this was this something that hit you in the face or was it a gradual process or well I you know talk about nature giving you information I mean I was not in a happy place you know I was a bit of a stress bag you know I was like I was sort of kind of driven to this whole career thing and I was working crazy hours and I was flying every you know I was living in Sydney at that stage I'm originally from New Zealand but I was living in Sydney I was I was tired, I was exercising too much, I was eating terribly, I was going out, I was partying, you know, like just, and I didn't come from an environment, you know, I didn't have an upbringing where, you know, I was introduced to any of this sort of knowledge. I didn't even, you know, I didn't really have a strong religious background, not that meditation is a belief system, but I didn't have any of that. So, things were a bit, you know, um, I was holding it all together. Probably from the outside, it looked okay. But sort of in the inside, I wasn't feeling very happy. And, uh, so some signs were there. And then I, I found out about it through a friend and, and there was something, there was just something sort of inside some little voice that was like, I think you need to go and check this out. And I did. And I remember walking out of the center in Wallara in Sydney with this, they'd given this little handout of, you know, benefits and there was some research and I just sort of had this in my hand and I was like, 
yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do, I'm just going to, I just, I just wasn't, didn't think about it. I just had this feeling. I just, you know, you know, when we make those decisions that come from that place of, I've got a feeling about this, I didn't, I found myself just going with it. And, um, yeah, and and then not really having a lot of people around me who were meditating, so it was a little bit bumpy there. You know, I felt a little bit alone. Um, and you know, we're going back, as you say, twenty something years, and it was really weird then. You know, you didn't have apps, and we didn't have mindfulness, and you know, I, there was certainly a number of people in my circle that I just there was no way I was going to tell them I was meditating. They would have thought I'd completely lost it. Um, but. I just, you know, I continued um, doing my thing. And I, I think the fact that I noticed the changes so quickly was really interesting. It was like, ooh, wow, this is actually doing something. And, uh, and a lot of people come to me, you know, with that sort of experience of saying, you know, I, I mean, I've taught thousands of people to meditate. And the way that we teach is over a four-day course. It's four consecutive days. And it's about a couple of hours each day. And I can say, hand on heart, you know, everybody I have taught has noticed some change in those first few days. And those benefits continue. And I think that in our current society, where there is this sort of desire for immediate um response uh that has some weight as well and and it was that that really you know if I was doing this thing every day and not noticing any changes you know who's going to keep doing that you know you you, there needs to be some payback and so from a practical point of view if, if people I mean now during the pandemic how I mean I know that one of the things with Vedic meditation is it's very important to to learn face to face because of the the yes. the transmission of the sound, the mantra, how how mm-hmm. is this working in the pandemic? Are, are you starting to now be able to, to to give sessions again? Yes, I mean we we really are committed to teaching this knowledge in the way that it's been taught for thousands of years, and and so we're not going to go down the the route of tr- teaching online or you know, that, that is not, um, advisable for many, many reasons. And when we learn something as powerful and as precious as this, it's important that we take some care around how we do that. So we teach, um, in that very traditional way. That means, you know, it's a face-to-face, um, experience that's been tricky. Um, so we stopped teaching, uh, in, lockdown we've just come out of uh so we when we came out of lockdown we started teaching we're doing those in very um you know everyone's wearing masks everyone's socially distanced the course sizes are a lot smaller and people are spread out so we're making that work and people are loving it and feeling very very drawn to this knowledge particularly now given what's going on and we'll continue on that in that way as things are at the moment um, and it's really for us, it's sort of a day by day monitoring of that. And we have a very large meditation community who we are servicing in terms of a group, you know, meditations and zoom and all of that we can do. Um, the first step though, for somebody who's interested in, in learning about this and, you know, is to tune into one of our uh, zoom introductory talks. We ask that everybody 
comes to an intro talk. And we used to pre-pandemic do those in person um, in a room. You'd come, you'd listen, um, just like the talk that I gave at the centre that you you were at. Um, now we do those on Zoom and people are loving that, loving it. And it's a great way for you to just gain a little bit more information. It's only an hour long and it's, you know, as part of your research, if someone's thinking about that, it's a fantastic place to start. And then they make a decision to sign up and, and, and they can jump in and take the course. So there is a lot of demand at the moment. Um, I, I always recommend, you know, check it out, do some research. You know, it's fantastic that you're making this knowledge available on the podcast. It's these kinds of conversations that will trigger some a step forward for somebody. And, you know, I really encourage everyone to, to, to get on that process of in their own time. And when you feel it's interesting, um, and that's a really good starting place if this is something that you want to do. And I mean, I know that for people, um, going through treatment at the moment there, there there are none of the places like the haven that are open i mean everything is is very limited and it and it is a lot harder but i think um yeah even coming logging on to one of your intro meetings to hear to, to get everything in place for when you can start teaching again is a really great step for people yes i think it's um you know a lot of people have said to us you know, they've come to the introductory course and they have decided, they've made a very important decision to learn this knowledge. And that making of that decision and knowing that this knowledge is coming to them when they can get on a course, and, you know, we are teaching, so people are starting to join now, is in itself very, very beneficial and very um, calming and reassuring. And it is that empowerment. There's a sense of I am taking action in ways that are nourishing and that are sustainable and that are going to really work and that are going to, it's, you know, it's, it's a life tool. You know, you might be going through a period in your life where you are going through really, really demanding treatment program and you're dealing with all of that uncertainty. And, you know, when we, when we move into this knowledge, it is, as you said earlier, it's knowledge that will really support us in those choppy times when things are very, very, very demanding, and it will build and stabilize and give us the resilience, and and it will be a life tool that we will have you know, going forward that will be so powerful in every aspect of our life as we move through this particularly tough time. And it is demanding, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a really wonderful first step just to get that knowledge and to explore this a little bit more. And it's a tool that can bring so much joy. I mean, I, that is just uh, one of the things that uh, helps. Yes, it's all about that. Time, but it's, there's, there's, it reconnects you with that as well, the joy, the joy in life. Yes, Yes, that, you know, that that inner aspect of blissfulness that gets overshadowed. And when we can start to clear away the, the, the layers of muck and stuff that's obscuring that, that 
that sense of peace and blissfulness and serenity is available to us. And when we have that, like that wave, we're stable in that baseline, then we come back out into action and to relationships and to work, and we are able to bring all of that into every relationship and to our children, our families, our co-workers, and, and there's a there's a real upgrade that occurs in every interaction um, as a result of us taking care of ourselves in this way and connecting with who we really are. Gillian, just a couple more questions, and I know you've got to go. Of course. So, so for me, I mean, the, the meditation was a was the beginning, and I, I've sent, since become more interested in Ayurveda and all the practices that that, that knowledge brings with it. Um, and I wondered if if you had three tips for people going through radiotherapy, chemotherapy, a tough time, you know, um, and I don't know if they, they probably have their roots in Ayurveda. What, what would those kind of things be, perhaps, three things, practical things that, that people could do to look after themselves? Mm. Yeah, this one of these is my my absolute favorite, and it's a it's a top Ayurvedic tip that I um, advise everybody. Uh, and it's a it's it, people will probably sort of well, really is uh, it's so powerful. Um, it's it's this idea of sipping hot water <laughs> and sipping hot water the ayurvedic doctors the vaidyas recommend that it's not so much quantity but it's the regularity every 30 minutes so you know i'm here with my flask of hot water and i sip on that and um and so it's it's been boiled in the kettle and i just sip on that throughout the day and what it does is it hydrates um, the whole physiology internally, and it flushes out toxins. Um, and that's a very important thing when we're going through some of these uh, treatment programs. So sipping hot water, and it's very, also what it's doing is very grounding. So it settles the, the vata dosha, all the doshas, but particularly in Ayurveda, we have the vata dosha, which can lend itself to a lot of anxiety and feeling of scatteredness when when it's out of balance. So it's very good for that. So that is the number one thing that I would say um, really important. I think finding some way to meditation would be obviously my my number one recommendation. And if we're not in a position where we can do that, I'm a, I'm a very big fan of rather than holding a lot of this mental tension up in our head, that we find ways where we can release that. And one of my favorites is um, to actually uh, do the morning pages, the Julia Cameron, the, the artist's way, where you just write for three pages and you do a bit of a dump and you don't evaluate and you don't reread it and you don't analyze it. You just get it out and it's a flow and it's a release and it helps the intellect to not glom onto stuff and get caught in a whirlwind of sort of a, a sort of a never ending spin cycle it actually allows for some release and I'm a, I'm a big fan of of those and I think when you are going down various thought paths which might not feel very um, attractive 
that's stress release and we've got to get it out. And the morning pages, um, I highly, highly recommend, mm-hmm. highly recommend those. Finding good, finding rest, ways to rest. And I know sleep becomes something that is very tricky. And I find this with a lot of my clients who are going through these kinds of treatments. So what are the things that we can do to ensure that sleep is as best as it can be? Um, And there's a very simple little thing of rubbing um, herbalized oil on the feet and you know, an, an Ayurveda oil massage, you know, some sort of oleation is very, very grounding and, and very highly recommended, again, for removing toxins. But the simple fact of getting a little bit of really good herbalized oil, massage oil, and massaging the feet, putting some old socks on, and then going to bed, is a, it's a, a, it will settle the nervous system and the mama points, the energy points um, on the feet are very powerful. So that's something that, and a little bit on the nubby, on the on the navel here, on the on the tummy button, bit of oil there, really very very helpful. So those are just little things. I mean, there's a there's there's so much, and there's a lot to be. We could have Talk a whole about Ayurveda and diet and, you know, favoring cooked food, not raw food and all that kind of stuff. So maybe that's, you know, to be continued. But with those three things sort of come to me. I think there's point. there's so much to be said for the, for them, for the massage, the foot massage that, you know, particularly at a time when we can't maybe, you know, hugging and it's so hard, but that contact with your, even if it's mm-hmm. your own hands massaging your skin, your feet, that real sort of, taking a second to just really put your your own attention on touch of your own skin is is really really lovely thing to yeah. do oil on the on the ears very very powerful and also here on the on the head on the on this um crown this is very very good for the brain very important um so the more that we can do that and you get some good ayurvedic massage oil some vata oil um that's a, a really good thing to have. These are great, great tips and simple and I think go a long way. <laughs> yeah, go a huge, go a huge way. Gillian, last couple of questions. If you um, had a book that's been invaluable to you on your journey, what would that be? Well, there's a book that I love. We're talking about Ayurveda and it's called A Woman's Best Medicine and it's written by an, um, an, a group of women, uh, Western-trained, the principal doctor who um, wrote this book, Nancy Lonsdorf, trained with my Ayurvedic doctors, the Raju family in India. Um, it's a great introduction to Ayurveda, A Woman's Best Medicine by Nancy Lonsdorf and others, and it is has that feminine orientation, um, so I I find it to be a really good, very very good book, and it was a really helpful book as I was embarking on the whole Ayurvedic journey. And yeah. a book that you would recommend to um, people, perhaps in I know we have your, we should also mention your book coming out in the new year. Yeah, I yes. I don't know the name of mm-hmm. yet. But as well as your book, um, which is another book that you would recommend people pick up if they're hesitating about meditation or perhaps want to read around it or... Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So yes, my book is called Why Meditate? Because it works. And it's coming out in um, the spring of next year, 2021. Um, and it will be a, a I, I, my aim is for it to be a very helpful um, guide for people about what meditation can do for you and what it is, what meditation is, and debunking some of those myths around that people have around meditation. Um, but that's, that's a little ways off. In the meantime, there's a book that I love, and it's by, um, David Lynch, who is the wonderful film director, um, creator of all sorts of um, shows, uh, and he's a long-time meditator and somebody I really admire. And he has a book called Catching the Big Fish, and it's um, it's a great little book, and you can just dip in and out of it. And it's it has uh, it's a little bit from his perspective. It's about creativity. Um, but it's a, it's a lovely, it's a lovely little book. So that's, that's a, a nice place to start. Um, yeah, that would be Those nice. Those two going in my Christmas stocking. <laughs> <laughs> and Gillian, what is the sagest piece of advice you've been given? One, and I write about this actually in the book. I think it's, um, it was, it was, had a huge impact for me. Um, and it comes back to what we were talking about earlier about this tendency to want to control everything and everyone to make sure everything's just right, um, that I think we get kind of socialised and brought up in that way. And really it's it's turning that on its head. And this person said to me, you know, it's not the, uh, it's not the unknown that we need to be afraid of. It's the ever-repeating known that we need to be worried about. And what that means is that, you know, of course, if we're not keeping things innovative and we're not embracing change, then stagnation will set in. We will shore up the status quo and then nature comes in and starts to destroy and pull that apart. That's that's the nature of life. So being able to embrace the unknown and embrace, embrace change is where we want to be in life because that's the one constant. Everything's changing. And if we are constantly in opposition and in fear of change itself, it's a pretty rough place to be. And so, yeah, that sense of it's it's that and, and paying attention to the fact those places in our life where there may be a little bit of over maintaining a little bit of stagnation a bit of resistance to inviting in the the new and the unknown uh i think is very 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 helpful that that quote sort of speaks volumes particularly now and then that this time you know we have no their control is a word that can be thrown out the window i mean there's, no, there's nothing we can control at the moment. So that is an amazing piece yeah. of wisdom. And, the, and a, piece, a sage piece of advice that you yourself would, would, would give to, to listeners. It sounds a little bit, perhaps a little bit simplistic, but it's something that my teacher always said to me, and it was very simple, you know, relax and enjoy. Relax and enjoy. And uh, invariably, I would be told that or be given that little reminder at a time when I was perhaps taking things a little bit too seriously 
or a little bit worked up in a way that was not allowing me to see something actually quite wonderful right in front of me and just relax and enjoy because we get a bit tight and we get caught up and um, finding those ways that we can be easier on ourselves and easier on people I think is would be one thing that is is always a good reminder because you know it's very easy to get serious about stuff and when you get serious you tend to get um, attached and rigid and you hold on tight and it it doesn't serve us well it doesn't serve us well we need to be looking for more of that 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 happiness you know it's what life is about and so you know even in the deepest most challenging times finding ways that we can go for that walk in the park and talk with that person and be listened to or just get outside and breathe and have a change of scene and just tune into the colors of the leaves outside and how how many different colors of yellow and orange and brown can I see right now on that tree out there as the leaves are shifting just relax and tune in and it's it's all there so yeah not to not to get too serious about about anything that's a really wonderful way to finish look for the playfulness in in life yeah Gillian thank you so much for sharing your wisdom um with us it's such a joy to talk to you I've been looking forward to it so thank you so much and um it's been a real I'm going to put some information on my uh, in, in the show notes and on my website of how to how to get in touch with you and the books that you recommend and um hopefully people will be coming to your um tuning into your your introductory session soon we would love that yes that would be wonderful and I it's been such a pleasure and you know well done you for sharing your experiences and because I think you know it's those stories and it's those real life experiences that are so inspiring for other people and have carry the most meaning so it's great work that you're doing thank you Gillian a million thanks for your time Gillian and thank you so much for listening I hope that in some way this chat resonates there's so much to take away I'll paste a link to the London Meditation Centre in the show notes as well as the books and tips Gillian shares with us. Please share this episode with friends and family who might need it. And of course, I'd love you to leave a five-star review. A big shout-out, as ever, to my music-making friend Julia Ross over in New York City for putting together the music for this show. Until next time, goodbye.